Okay, perfect. So I will go ahead and begin with an introduction. Dr. Hooper, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Dr. Hooper received her BA degree at Cornell University and completed her medical school education at Robert Wood Johnson Medical School in Camden, New Jersey. She went on to complete a general surgery residency at Columbia University, followed by a three-year fellowship in plastic and reconstructive surgery and an additional year of hand surgery at the University of Michigan. She currently serves as Clinical Assistant Professor of Surgery and Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery at the University of Michigan School of Medicine. Dr. Huber, thank you again for joining us today. I'd love to start off by hearing what your personal journey towards choosing plastic surgery was and then choosing to subspecialize in hand surgery. Well, thank you for that great introduction. Um, haven't heard all the things listed in such nice sequence. Um, so I initially, I when I started medical school, I thought that I was going to do cardiology. And um, the reason was my, my maternal grandmother had a heart attack. And um, I was driven uh, by seeing that, that, you know, to become a cardiologist. And um, it wasn't until I actually started doing my rotations that I thought about a career in surgery. Um, once I rotated on surgery, I knew that I had to be a surgeon. Um, and initially, I thought I was going to do general surgery. And so that's why I, I chose to do a general surgery um, residency. And it was during my uh, third year as a general surgery resident on my breast rotation where um, there was no fellows to help with the reconstruction. And I had the opportunity to assist one of the plastic surgeons um, doing a, a tram uh, reconstruction um, for this patient who had had mastectomy. And that was basically life altering to see sort of the quality of life changes that this patient had. So um, after that, I went to my program director and I said, okay, I have to, I have to figure out how to become a plastic surgeon. And so she put me in contact with um, a couple of people in the area. Um, and I took two years of research time to just fully immerse myself in plastic surgery. And so I spent two years at Wild Cornell doing uh, tissue engineering research. And then that led to just kind of more, um, you know, kind of deep dive into plastic surgery finished general surgery and then went on to plastic surgery residency um, after finishing general surgery residency. Uh, and then um, while I was a plastic surgery resident, hand surgery was just um, a big part of Michigan, um, you know, plastic surgery. And a lot of uh, the people who I resonated with and saw myself as being uh, were hand surgeons. And so um, I became a hand surgeon. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that journey. And I can definitely resonate with some of the things you mentioned is what attracts you to the to the field of plastic surgery. So it's it's neat to hear that. Could you speak a, a bit about your decision to pursue those uh, two research years uh, in the middle of your residency? I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Yeah, um, as as we know, you know, plastic surgery is one of those uh, competitive subspecialties where, um, you know, your academic fortitude kind of drives, you know, your competitiveness, um, you know, and so I previously had very small um, research stints that I did while being a resident or while being a medical student. And I saw it as an opportunity to both, you know, show my commitment to the field and really immerse myself um, um, in the experience. Um, and I think it was very rewarding. Um, there were some challenges with that time, though, because in my program, um, research was not a funded um, opportunity from the program. And so, you know, as you can imagine, um, not everyone is able to do unfunded research uh, to to boost their, you know, curriculum vitae. And so 
I was very fortunate that my lab was able to support me for those two years um, you know, with a financial stipend. But um, that is one of the challenges um, that that folks face is, you know, needing to show commitment, show academic prowess, um, while not necessarily um, being guaranteed funding. Um, but but that year was it was even more than you know I I imagined um, from you know a personal growth uh, again taking time to sort of think about uh, basic science research in a way that I'd not previously thought about it and sort of how to integrate you know things from bench you know to bedside using some of the techniques and things you know to to make some advancements in the lab. And, and also, um, you know, having a chance to be mentored one-on-one -on -one, um, during that during that two-year stint and um, have an opportunity to go to meetings and meet different people and just really immerse myself in the field. It was, I think, an invaluable um, experience. I love that. That's amazing. And I know you touched on some of those challenges being uh, if you do decide to pursue research and it not being funded. And I was wondering if there were any challenges or barriers that you you faced on this journey to becoming a, a hand surgeon and, and being faculty at the University of Michigan. Yeah, I mean, um, from a from a challenging from a challenges perspective, I think, you know, once you once you decide that you're going to sub sub specialize, you know, the the, the competition is is even steeper, right? Um, and so, you know, you, you have to find ways to sort of distinguish yourself, um, whether it's with your academic pursuits, your research interests, your leadership. Um, I personally wasn't a, uh, I would say a huge public speaker and, and a person that wanted to sort of get out um, in front of people and just give talks. And so um, one of the things I had to overcome was just being, as comfortable as I could uh, with, you know, being able to get up and talk to people and give talks and, you know, share ideas. And um, I, I, I really, that's something that I definitely had to work at, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, read books about, you know, different ways to present work and how to give an engaging talk and try to, you know, um, capture a crowd, if you will, even though typically we're in sort of this, you know, academic cocoon, but still trying to be right. interesting and um, engaging with whatever it is that you're talking about, I think was a challenging, was a challenge for me. Um, and it's still something that I'm working on, you know, I'm still a work in progress. I, I hear that for sure. I think that's something that now is where um, it's June and interview season seems like it's approaching so quickly, getting really comfortable with speaking about uh, yourself, your academic pursuits and such. It's definitely a skill that you have to continue practicing. So I, uh, I can definitely uh, relate to that for sure. And thinking about uh, hand surgery specifically, and I love this uh, question because I'm starting my away rotations and we rotate on, on hand surgery services. And I know that medical students and myself included in that can feel overwhelmed uh, before starting a, uh, a rotating on a hand surgery service. And I was just wondering if you had any um, advice or what you would recommend uh, for students to prepare uh, to uh, excel on their uh, hand surgery services. Yeah, hand surgery is tough for sure. There's a lot, there's a lot of things confined into a small space. Um, I would say, I, it, as a first step, just focusing on anatomy, 
um, you know, really understanding the area that you're going to be operating on, what, what structure you're going to be focused on. But you can't go wrong as a medical student if you go into any case prepared from an anatomy standpoint. People might ask you questions about the steps of the procedure and what are we doing now. But before you get there, they're going to ask you anatomy questions. And so I would spend some time with an atlas of some variety or online resources. There's innumerable getting to know the anatomy of the location that is the focus of the operation for starters. And then, you know, for individual case preparation, of course, reviewing the chart and understanding what the purpose of the surgery is, right? Coupled with your anatomy, that goes a long way with helping you prepare, right? So if you know that, for example, this patient has a fracture, um, you know, a metacarpal fracture, and you've studied kind of the, the structures around the metacarpal, the metacarpal mm -hmm. itself, why you're doing the surgery, you go into the case really well informed about what the purpose is, and you can have a very meaningful um, discussion with the attending, you know, they might ask you, you know, where is the fracture? What kind of, why are we doing this case is always a good, you know, starting point. And so, I think focusing on just the basic anatomy, why you're doing the operation, what the goals of the operation are, um, are really good starting points. And then, you know, you'll get questions deeper and deeper and deeper based on kind of how those things kind of go um, from a from like a textbook perspective. I first say um, there's a lot of resources on YouTube. I watched YouTube videos of procedures performed by different surgeons. Um, uh, very frequently when I was a resident. And, and even if I'm doing something that I haven't done before, I watch a video. Um, from a textbook perspective, um, there's an operative of tech, operative techniques of hand and wrist surgery um, that uh, is written by Kevin Chung. Um, I've written several chapters in that book, uh, but it is a nice book for really getting um, fine details about like the indications for the operation, anatomy, and some crude, you know, um, surgical steps. Of course, there's some nuance with, you know, each different surgeon, mm -hmm. but it gives you kind of, it's not a large, you know, chapter to read, and it's a very focused on different procedures. So if you know you're going to be going into a particular procedure using the combination of your anatomy while you're doing it, and then maybe seeing a representative illustration or video will help in the preparation. Mm -hmm. I love that. I'm definitely going to be getting that so that I can review it before your, these your, cases. Your for medical sure. school might have it on their electronic um, a library. Uh, it, it is, um, you know, it's one of those books that's really helpful. It's gone through, even if it, it doesn't matter which version they have, they all have, um, you know, really good illustrations, both um, in situ illustrations of like patients who have actually gone through the surgery as well as medical illustrations. Um, and then there's usually like a small edited video of some variety, some part of the case that's helpful. Oh, that's amazing. And I love how you break it down too, because it's, it is so easy to get overwhelmed, but if you focus on, okay, just, just know your anatomy really well before you go into the case and then you'll build off of that. I think that's important for students to remember for sure. And related to hand surgery, uh, what is your favorite surgery to perform? Ooh, I love all of hand surgery. I would say um, from an elective, like hand surgery standpoint, because we do a lot of trauma, especially mm -hmm. in Michigan. But from an elective standpoint, I think um, the surgeries that we do for thumb arthritis, um, so like CMC um, arthroplasties, which, you know, include removal of the trapezium bone, I think those are, are pretty rewarding. 
Uh, you know, a lot of these patients, by the time they've worked themselves up to needing surgery, they're they're pretty debilitating. I mean, the thumb is is absolutely critical to everything that we do with our hands, pinching, twisting, gripping. And so to really have a lot of pain with those um, activities um, that that can be really hindering um, for anyone. And I think, you know, the outcomes after surgery um are are pretty are pretty miraculous you know people of course in the initial perioperative period they're dealing with post surgical pain but a lot of the activities that they were limited in doing preoperatively are much improved and i think from a patient satisfaction that's that's a really awesome um operation um i really like uh fasciectomies for for dupuytren's contracture um it is uh, always a, a technical maze, um, you know, trying to carefully uh, remove, um, you know, the, the scarred fascia from, you know, the tendons and, and the tissue kind of diving around the arteries and nerves and trying to carefully remove that tissue without hurting the structures that you want to preserve. I find that like extremely technically challenging um, and also, you know, very rewarding when a patient comes in, they can't extend their finger and now mm -hmm. you've removed tissue to allow them to to regain their function so those are those are two of my favorite kind of elective operations um yeah there's there's lots of trauma but those are unfortunate uh <laughs> I love that and I have to say when we were at prepped and I was learning about all of these things honestly for the first time and having never seen these surgeries before it was interesting to me and now having actually been in the OR and seen these surgeries. It's so neat hearing you speak about it again. And I can definitely see why you you love it so much in those surgeries uh, because they they really are life-changing. It's just incredible. And uh, I know going off of that with those surgeries that you enjoy the most, what, what do you enjoy the most about your specialty, either specifically related to uh, your time, um, of course, uh, being a hand surgeon or plastic surgery in general? Yeah, I, I think like for me, going into plastic surgery, it was, um, like I said, a very long circuitous sort of path. Um, but I think the improvements in patient quality of life, you know, with, you know, increased life expectancy and, you know, the things that we are now able to do at, you know, quote unquote, advanced age and, and having the opportunity to offer people um, procedures um, in, at ages that they probably otherwise wouldn't receive um, and, and, you know, restoring some of that lost fun function that they, they may have either with trauma or um, just, you know, wear and tear, I think is, is, is pretty awesome from a quality of life standpoint. And it's, it's like, you know, it's fun. Um, to, to engage uh, with people and, you know, they, they have a problem that, you know, it's not a life-threatening problem, but um, it is a it is a problem that is impacting how they go about their day-to-day -day and just having the opportunity to help them with that is, is, is truly incredible. I think from, from a specialty and like a day-to-day, -day, um, you know, existence, I, I really enjoy being at like Michigan and like, I think it, this can be said at like most academic institutions, but like, you know, you're surrounded by people that are always thinking about like, what's the next thing? How can I, how can I improve this patient's care? How can I be more efficient? How can I be better? Um, and just being in that environment where, you know, everyone is, is motivated and driven to, you know, make the best outcome for patients, I think is, is a lot of fun. Um, I'm motivated every day by my partners and 
the residents and fellows that I work with, as well as my patients, you know, um, you know, sometimes they come in with something that they read that I haven't necessarily done that they, they want, they want me to wow. perform. Oh, I love that. That's amazing to hear. And on the flip side of that, um, what are some challenges that um, your spe specialty is currently facing? Um, I would say w one of the challenges is sort of from an academic standpoint, balancing mm -hmm. that, um, you know, the the clinical requirements and, and financial requirements with that academic, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, requirements, if you will, you know, we're trying to balance patient care, but also, you know, our research and education, um, you know, uh, components. And I think sometimes, you know, the, they, they can be conflicting. There's only so much time mm -hmm. in the day. And so uh, figuring out ways to, um, you know, organize and structure, you know, one's schedule and one's time, I think um, can sometimes be challenging. Um, you know, workforce diversity, I think, is is also a challenge that not only plastic surgery but medicine in general um you know is facing uh, um and and the obvious um you know lack of of workforce diversity uh has been you know discussed and i think it's on the minds of everyone and and something that you know not only plastic surgery but a lot of surgical subspecialties a lot of just medicine in general is is trying to work on that Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, hopefully that is the, hopefully we are moving in a positive direction surrounding all of those things. And I think it's, uh, for me, it's an exciting time to be able to, to be a part of a specialty, knowing the, the work and the movements that are being done uh, within it. So it's, yeah, it's inspiring for sure. And with, um, plastic surgery, I know we, we spoke about it being a competitive residency and, and students trying to do uh, certain things to distinguish themselves, uh, to make themselves a competitive applicant. Uh, do you have any advice in particular for us as we prepare a competitive application uh, for residency? Yeah, um, I think the, the earlier you can identify, you know, what it is that you want to do, the better. I know some sometimes, like for example, myself, I was a bit late. But I think identifying what it is that you what it is that you want to do from a, a medical specialty in general, I think, is important. Um, one of the most critical things, I think, in plastic surgery, though, is mentorship and sponsorship. Mm -hmm. I think um, having someone who's in the field, who's gone through it, who can help guide you through it as early as possible is very helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, mentorship comes in all different flavors and people can have more than one mentor. Um, uh, I think finding someone who um, is invested in you and and uh, helps you with sort of, you know, planning your clinical experiences, um, you know, helping you navigate the, the challenges with research exposure and experiences. Mm -hmm. um, when you get to the point where you're preparing your application, you you know, looking over personal statements, looking over the organization of your CV, um, you know, and and even during interview preparation, you know, taking the time to go through like mock interviews and things like that. I think, you know, there's different stages that, you know, a mentor or um, a sponsor can intervene on, you know, depending mm -hmm. on where you are on the spectrum. I think early in medical school, it's just finding a mentor, finding someone who, you think you want to emulate and be like, and mm -hmm. and they know what it's like to 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 be where you want to be, and they are, they're willing to guide you. Um, I do think that you have to be very intentional with 
with the communication uh, with with those individuals because you know sometimes I get a lot I get several medical students that email me about wanting to they're thinking about plastic surgery and and um, they want to do something or they want to meet or they want to talk um, figuring out specifically like you know is it is it just uh, you want a research opportunity do you want to just Mm. talk about the field being very intentional about what you want from the individual. Um, I think will be helpful. And then, you know, maybe setting some small goals and deadlines and having, you know, that, um, you know, that that constant, not constant, but more regular communication, mm-hmm. I, would, I would say, you know, um, where you're not like you haven't sent an email, you sent an email and then like six months later, you're, you're sending a follow up email, you know, like have some short term goals and some deadlines. OK, at our next meeting, we'll talk about this or let's plan that. So. Um, but I think for, for this specialty, mentorship is absolutely critical. Um, and if you don't have plastic surgeons at your institution, you know, find one at another institution uh, that can that that'll be willing to help you. And on that note of mentorship, and I think all those things that you mentioned are just so important. And I've seen how they are really instrumental, uh, that active mentorship and and knowing um your goals as well for for both um, participants. And do you have any advice on how to seek out a mentor, especially for for those students that are do not have a plastic surgery division at their medical schools? Yeah, I mean, uh, typically it starts with an email of some variety, uh, unless you're unless you happen to be at a meeting where you're seeing someone, mm-hmm. you know, in person, but. Um, you know, those interactions typically start with a me- um, an email introducing yourself, um, what your what your interests are, and w- what your background is, right? And then probably your CV with it. It's it's almost you know um, a necessary thing so that you know not only do they see what you're interested in, um, what you what you've done, um, you know they they have a sense of what your track record is, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, typically that that's viewed, you know, a couple of days and, and then someone will, you know, put you in contact with, you know, their administrative assistant to help set up things. And as much, um, you know, preparation that you can do for for that first encounter, you know, mm-hmm. um, the better. And that may include, you know, creating an agenda for the meeting. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think that I love that. Um, you know, having a clear, you know, if it's a 30 minute meeting, you know, it's obviously you can deviate, but having a specific set of things that you want to discuss, um, rather than, um, having it, having it be a little, it can be, there's some spontaneity, but having some, some organization and, Mm -hmm. and an agenda, I think, um, shows that you are like ahead of, of, you know, just the average and typical, Hey, let's meet. I want mentorship mm-hmm. kind of thing, like what specifically you want to talk about and, and, you know, laying that out in writing and, and, in, and it just shows like, you know, um, very intentionality, very intentional um, effort um, and, and a very mature, I think, uh, student. That is super helpful advice, just to set that stage early on and show that you are not only seeking out that mentor, but you're going to take the initiative to make it a, um, I want to say a beneficial relationship 
I think is also mm-hmm. is super, super important. And just to, to wrap us up, I did want to ask, we, we do have several medical students who are considering uh, pursuing research years um, before applying to residency. And I don't know if you had any recommendations from that standpoint of how they can um, prepare to be successful during those research years. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of the same things in terms of mentorship. So mm-hmm. figuring out like, you know, um, in terms of your research years, like, is this going to be basic science research, translational research, outcomes research? Like, what is your research, you know, type going to be? Mm-hmm. And then thinking about the thing it is that you're going to be researching. Uh, hopefully, it's something that's you're passionate about, um, and that drives you. I think that makes it easier to you know, stay on the track of doing that project. Mm-hmm. Um, there, Once you've identified, you know, the type of research that you're going to do, that's where you sort of then go on and seek out the individuals who are doing it and, and figure out how you can, um, you know, bring some new fresh ideas or contribute to existing projects and things like that. Um, funding is always challenging. Uh, and so, so with, with you know finding someone th- with thinking about the kind of research that you want to do finding someone that one of the challenges would be funding and sort of figuring out how you're going to do that there's a lot of societal you know grants depending on you know where you are and what what type of research you're intending to do sometimes um the principal investigators that you're communicating with may have you know, funds for research coordinators, sometimes they don't, but they can often point you in the direction of a grant to apply for. Um, you know, sometimes you do have to, if you really want to do have research in your in your portfolio, sometimes you have to take a, a, some time of being an unfunded kind of participate in the research and, and maybe having, um, you know, a a, another job or 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 something that you know allows you to make money um i had a, a couple of co-residents that had to do that um really? okay. and so you know it not just completely closing the door to research if you can't find funding but you might find yourself an opportunity where you know you probably are doing it for three or four months and you know you're helping augment your um finances through something else but then while you're in the lab you know another funding opportunity happens or your pi gets some grant money and so mm-hmm. not you know completely closing the door because you don't have the funding when you intend to start but you know, engaging and finding out if there's some opportunity for beginning work and then, you know, transitioning into being funded by your lab. I love that. I think that's super helpful for our students to hear as well, because finances is such a barrier for so many. And so it's good to think about that. Of Like you're saying, don't just close the door completely and think that there might be some ways where you can actually um, be able to support yourself while pursuing research and those endeavors. That's really helpful yeah. to hear for sure. And thank you so much, Dr. Hooper, for your time. This has been an amazing conversation. And I know our students are really going to benefit from listening in for those um, from those pursuing uh, plastic surgery and those who know that they might want to subspecialize. I think it's important for everyone to hear. Uh, So I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me this afternoon. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was awesome. Thank you.